Well, good morning, everyone. And so like Clark mentioned, I am um, a mother to a three-month-old little guy named Wyatt, and so I hope you will indulge me in a moment of personal privilege. Um, I have a picture of my son, if you guys can put him up on the screen, because, you know, I'm a mom. I want to show him off as often as I can. So um, are we going to be able to see the picture, guys? Yeah? Yeah? Maybe? Maybe? We're working on it? There he is! <laughs> Isn't he cute? Like, I'm really biased, I realize. Um, but as any of you know, if you've had a baby at one point in your life, if you've had a friend or a family member who has had a baby, you know that your life gets rocked when that happens. And so I feel like ever since he has come into the world, my husband and I have been living in these endless cycles of eating and then playing and then sleeping and then we eat, and then we play, and then we sleep. And so what you also need to know about my little baby is he is very particular about sort of how this whole thing goes down. So whenever he first wakes up from whether he's sleeping for the night or for a nap, he's got to have his bottle. That's the first thing we do. But there's not just any bottle that he'll take. There's only one brand that he will tolerate. And um, so then after he finishes that, he likes to be awake and active for a little while, but he's kind of particular about what happens during that time. Uh, for example, if I need to throw him in a carrier and do things around the house, um, it can't be one that his legs are tucked in. No, like if his legs are tucked in, he screams bloody murder. But as long as we've got our legs hanging out and he can kick around, we're fine. And so then when it's finally time for him to sleep, he gets all fussy and we know it's time and you would think, he knows he's tired. We know he's tired. He'd go right to sleep, right? No. <laughs> no. Heard some people know what it's like. So he has to be laying by himself, either in the car seat when we're out or in his bassinet, and he has to have his pacifier, and then finally we'll go to sleep. And so you would think that with all these particular steps that we have to take with my son, you would think that we would see it as a chore or that it would be overwhelming or painful. But the reality is we are so grateful for all of this. Now that we've got this cycle worked out and now that we know for the most part what his preferences are, you know, we're pretty good, not perfect, not perfect, let's not kid ourselves. But we're pretty good at figuring out what he needs, when he needs it, and how to fix it. So I believe that this cycle, and knowing all these preferences, it helps us to connect to our son better, and I'd like to think that it helps make me and my husband better parents. But you know, it wasn't always this way. Whenever we first brought Wyatt home, we didn't have things figured out. Things were not very ordered in our household at all, and instead it was very chaotic. We didn't know what he needed, when, or how to fix it. It was a chaotic and sleep-deprived time. And I think if we are honest, when we think about our spiritual lives, we'd like to think that it's the nice, calm, ordered lifestyle that you kind of get when you're a couple months in with having a baby. But it tends to be more like that chaotic, disjointed newborn time. We know the things that we need to do to connect with God, to love God and love others better, but we're just kind of disjointed in doing them. We know that prayer is important, but our prayer times are scattered and chaotic. 
We know that we need to read the Bible, but we're just not really regular in doing so. And we know that we should give generously to help spread God's love around the world, but we're not so regular in doing so. And we know that we need to make a regular practice of mentioning our faith and talking about it with others, but a lot of times we can look and be honest with ourselves and realize that we don't even know the last time that we talked about our faith, period, with others. We know what we need to do, and we have great intentions in doing it, but sometimes it just doesn't come together. We lack the intentional order that we need in our lives to practice these things regularly, to love God and to love others more. But can you believe it? The book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus of all things, has our answer today. So to be honest with you all, whenever McGray told me that I was going to preach on this Sunday, which is the only Sunday in the whole Bible Project 2020 we're going to touch on the book of Leviticus, I was skeptical. I asked him, I, I said, are you trying to make sure that the pastor in training is going to be able after this Sunday to handle any sermon topic that's thrown at me? But... As I thought and considered the book of Leviticus more and more throughout the week, and particularly as I talked about it with others and processed it in my small group this week, I was able to realize what a blessing the book of Leviticus actually can be. While the sacrificial culture that is placed in the book of Leviticus, it's really foreign to us. Like, as far as I know, no one is currently offering burnt offerings on a regular basis on Davis Island, as far as I know. But the principle that is in this book, it actually isn't so foreign. The purpose of the book of Leviticus was to create an ordered way for the Israelite people to connect with God. Instead of connecting with a worship song like we just did, they would offer a grain offering. Instead of making a financial donation to the church to support the pastors and staff, what they did back then was they offered an animal as a burnt offering so then the priests could eat it. And as our text covers today, instead of praying to God and confessing their sins and their wrongdoings, they would literally sacrifice an animal to atone for their sins. I think it's so important for us to remember that the book of Leviticus, just like anything else in the Bible, is steeped in a culture that is much, much much different than our own. Animal sacrifice, and honestly, even child sacrifice in the nations outside of Israel, that was common and every day to those people at that time. In fact, if we were to look just a little bit further back in the book of Exodus, when you look at the story of the golden calf, those, at that time, the Israelites, no one gave them instructions, no one gave them prompting, and they decided to create an altar and um, a god and start um, sacrificing animals to it, all on their own. It's just what they did. So trying to connect with God by sacrificing a bull was just as normal to them as trying to connect with God by listening to a worship song or experiencing nature is with us. I mean, if you think about it, you think about it, if you were an alien visiting the planet Earth 
and you were to look at our baptism or look at our communion liturgy that we're going to do later today, you'd have no idea what was going on or why we did it, and it would look really strange to you. But what God does do in the book of Leviticus is create a guidebook for the Israelite people so that they can have an ordered way to connect with God. And our scripture passage today is the pinnacle and the climax of that guidebook, the single most important of all the rituals that it contains, the Day of Atonement. In fact, this is actually still practiced today by practicing Jews. It's called Yom Kippur. And so the idea with the Day of Atonement in Leviticus was that the priests would bring forth offerings of various animals to atone for their sins and for the sins of the people of Israel. Specifically, two goats were offered, and one of them was decided to be the scapegoat. So if you've ever wondered, this is actually where the term scapegoat originally originated from, was this passage in Leviticus. But anyway, the priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and verbally say their sins and the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And then the goat would be released out into the wilderness, just as God would release people from the sins that they had committed. This was all a way for people to intentionally order their confession time with God in order to connect with God better. The Day of Atonement provided a way for the Israelite people to use something that they were familiar with, animal sacrifice, to intentionally visualize what it would look like to confess their sins and see God release it into the wilderness. So the question that remains for us today is, how do we take this idea of intentional order in Leviticus, and how the heck do we apply it to our own lives today? Well, I believe that there are three takeaways for the Day of Atonement that we can learn in Leviticus. First, that order is sacredness. Second, that God deserves our best. And finally, that Jesus fulfills the sacrifice. The first idea is that order is sacredness. We need intentional order in our lives to connect with God. We want to connect with God, and we want to do our spiritual practices, but we need intentional order to actually make that happen. Justin was telling me this week that when he was running the Walt Disney World Marathon, when things were getting hard around mile 18, as, you know, they would after you run that many miles, that he decided to intentionally pray for every person that he passed on the course. So that intentional practice not only helped him connect with God more, it helped him care for those on the course around him, it also helped him to complete the race. The intentional order of prayer ended up bringing a sacredness to that race. Second, that God deserves our best. The book of Leviticus challenged the nation of Israel to use this intentional order to give their best to God. The people couldn't just give the weakest animals that were going to die off anyway. They couldn't give the rotten vegetables they had lying around. No. They had to give their first, and they had to give their best. 
Similarly, God deserves our best from our lives. When we engage in spiritual practices, God deserves our best faith effort at them. It takes time and energy to learn and grow in any practice, spiritual or not. Just think about things like learning to cook or learning to read. It takes time. You have to be intentional. Think about silent prayer or meditation. In order to get better at silent prayer or meditation, you have to intentionally take the time to learn to quiet your mind and learn to go for longer periods that continue to have that intentional and meaningful practice. Meditation, just like any other spiritual practice, it doesn't grow from cutting corners. It grows from giving God our absolute best. And finally, Jesus fulfills the sacrifice. When we look at this passage in Leviticus, we as Christians can and should flash forward to Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of this sacrificial system. In his death and resurrection, Christ became the scapegoat for all of our sins. And just like the priest confessed the sins of the people on the goat to receive forgiveness and move on, we can receive the forgiveness and grace of God through the intentional order of spiritual practices. So the question that remains is, what is your spiritual practice that you realize that you need intentional order in? Here at Hyde Park, we focus on four individual spiritual practices that we like to call GRIP. They're giving, reading scripture, inviting others, and prayer. And we learn to strengthen these three practices in the corporate practices of worship, small groups, and serving. And so no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how short you've been a Christian, or if you're still kind of just giving this church thing, you know, trying it out, for all of us, we all have a next step to take in intentionally ordering our spiritual practices. Perhaps you haven't been reading the Bible regularly, if you're honest. So maybe your next step is to create a certain time of day that you're going to do the daily readings of the Bible Project 2020, for instance. Maybe you realize you're pretty good at praying for yourself and what you need help from God from, but you're not so good at remembering to pray for other people and what they need. So maybe your next step is to create a journal to keep track of what other people need prayer for and take time to intentionally do that. And maybe today you realize that you can't remember the last time you talked about your faith with someone else. So maybe your next step is to find a way, somehow, some way, to just casually talk about what you believe with someone else. Regardless of whatever your next step may be, you can rest assured that just like the Israelites in Leviticus, God will be with you as you intentionally order your life to take that next step. May you find sacredness in this order as you give God your absolute best, trusting that the grace of Christ will be with you as you do so.
Let's close in prayer together. Gracious God, thank you for Leviticus. And thank you for the opportunity to wrestle with it together in community like this. Help us all to intentionally order our lives to make room for spiritual practices so that we may make your love real in our community. In your name we pray. Amen.